Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to see everybody this morning. You got your Bibles? Guess where we're going to turn? Anybody know? Matthew chapter 5. Amen. Um, this may be, no guarantee, the last lesson on the Beatitudes. I started the first Sunday in January, and can I tell you, I've had quite the year. <laughs> and uh, God is good, God is faithful, God is merciful, and I'm glad to be here. And I feel like I've missed more than I've been this year. I know that's not true, but uh, I. I welcome the E family. Glad you're with us. I'm praying for you, especially E family, because I cannot possibly do that. <laughs> it is not in me. Uh, I watched Sunday school last week, and what a tremendous job Brother Barry and Brother Williams did. Great ministry. Amen. They did a fantastic job. And uh, I watched uh, Sunday. Uh, great, great job and all of that. But I just, it's just not the same. There is a connection and fellowship. If you can be here, I told somebody this morning I'd drag a dead limb in here and probably would again if I had to. Amen. God is good, isn't he? So good to see everybody this morning. Let's read this. Most, many of you know it by heart by now, hopefully. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, speaking of Jesus, went up into a mountain. How many of you would like to go up into a mountain this morning? Amen. You can, right? Not a physical mountain, but a spiritual mountain. A place alone with the Lord. Sister Staten just came back from the mountain. She's smiling from ear to ear. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And finally, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Thank you for standing in reverence to the word. You may be seated. Like I said, began this uh, this series. Uh, many months ago now, and we talked about the Beatitudes, how in a simplified uh, instant, how my attitude ought to be, right? And, uh, and many of you have expressed um, how much you appreciate this series, what the Word has, the benefit of the Word here. We said that there's a challenge for each one of these blessings. There was a challenge and a, a benefit, and we talked about how that part of the challenge was maturing in our attitude. How many of you know that uh, old age can teach you some things, but other things it can't? You can, you can be 75 years old and still act like a child. Amen. You can be 15 or 16 and be mature, right? So age is, not a, age is not a definer on your maturity in every area. And I also believe that it's possible to be mature in one area and immature in another area. 
Amen? amen. Some of y'all need to say amen, oh me. Uh, but the truth is, we're talking about the benefits. And so we've been dealing here for the last couple months with the benefits. And we talked about how that the first and the last beatitude have the same promise that was attached to them. These specific attitudes, if we can gain these two attitudes, that this level of maturity, it will lead us to the, the greatest promise of the Bible. Jesus said, theirs, ours is the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing on earth that I want more, that doesn't even sound right, does it, than to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? I love being part of the church, but there is a dimension above the church called the kingdom of heaven that we're going to get. And so that's the greatest benefit that we could ever receive, the greatest benefit you will ever receive in your entire life, no matter throughout eternity, is being a part of heaven. But this benefit was promised to those who possess those two specific attitudes, those that are poor in spirit, those that recognize their inability to change their spiritual situation, those that recognize that they were poverty. Uh, there's, there is in a spiritual sense, no matter how much money you have in the physical realm or how much uh, authority you have or how much, uh, uh, you know, uh, how much glamour or fame you might have, none of that matters in the spiritual sense, right? Because we are all beggars before God. And so there has to be a recognition that I am poor. I have absolutely nothing to offer Jesus Christ. And then that second part, that the, the, the beginning and the end that wraps this together, those that were going to get this greatest promise of the kingdom of heaven are those that were willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Amen? Suffering is part of life. Sorry, Brother Tyler, this thing is driving me insane. That's good. Um, and, uh, and, but being willing to suffer is one thing, but suffering for the right reason. Amen? As believers, we need to be prepared for that. I, in, in, when I was a young man in the Lord, I didn't think it was possible that they were ever going to come in and censor us. Uh, I believe it's not even, I, I don't even think it's probable. I, I believe it's likely. I think it's going to happen. It could happen in my lifetime if the Lord wills. But then we talked about the next benefit, the blessing of comfort for those that mourn. Not just those who have lost things, not just those that are mourning, but those that were mourning over their spiritual condition, over the sin in their life. The Bible says they shall be comforted. What a great promise, right? And the greatest comfort, the greatest single comfort that you and I could ever receive, ever, right? We have the greatest benefit, the kingdom of heaven, but the greatest comfort is knowing that our sins are covered by the blood. What a tremendous, tremendous, what a tremendous blessing that is in your life, that you can walk through this life knowing that, that, that your faults, your failures, those things that disqualify you, those things that disqualify me from being a part of the kingdom of God, those are under the blood. They're cast as far as the east is from the west. They are in that sea of forgetfulness, and the Lord will never bring those back up again. Amen? Amen. Then we talked about the blessing of the meek in an arrogant, an overwhelmingly rude world, it's a challenge Amen. just to be meek, right? Any sense of meekness, but let alone have an, an attitude of meekness. 
We talked about how meekness was not weakness. Moses was the meekest man on the earth. But there was a promise that was tied to this, to this challenge of being meek. And that challenge was, they shall inherit the earth. And we, we began to dig into that in the Greek. And the earth was not a, a piece of dirt somewhere. It was not a physical address. But it was the arena of life. It's the place where we live. It's the place where our lives happen. And so when we, when we inherit the earth, what the Bible's talking about is we are living in a state of victory. We're living in a victorious place in Jesus Christ through a life of submission. Paul wrote that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so those, those first three Beatitudes, they're designed to empty us out. They're designed, the natural result of that is to, is to get rid of our humanity and ourself. Those are attitudes of maturity. And you can go back and watch those. If you missed any of those lessons, you can watch them online. But the, the next one, the fourth one, was that there was a blessing in those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And certainly that is a challenge, not just in our day, but in every day. The challenge to continue, the challenge to remain hungry for the presence of God. We talked about how it matters how you come, right? It matters how you approach God. It matters. It does matter how you approach the things of God. I don't want to be casual in my approach. That's a challenge, right? Because when we become comfortable with something, church, right? I, I tell people that apostolics are as comfortable in church as a drunk is in a bar. We just are. We're, we're not like other folks. We don't just come put our time in. We love the church, and we come, and we're comfortable here. But there's a danger. There's a danger that it becomes so casual that we're not hungering and thirsting for the righteousness, for the presence of God, for the things of God, right? And so it's a challenge to pursue that presence of God. But the promise, the benefit was they shall be filled. And many people believe that. They quote that, they shall be filled. But what are they going to be filled with? We talked about that. We're going to be filled with his righteousness, not my righteousness, not the church's righteousness, but the righteousness of a mighty God that, that only comes through, through faith. Paul said that I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which comes through faith of Jesus Christ. It can only be purchased through faith. Then we looked at mercy and the key to mercy. We, we talked about being a merciful person. What a great challenge it is to be merciful in every situation. It's not, a, it's not a challenge to be merciful sometimes, but it is a challenge to be merciful in every situation. But the merciful must be broken. In order to show mercy, you must have mercy, right? You have, you gotta, in order to get mercy, you've got you've to give mercy. And so we get the power to show mercy right from a heart that, 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 that even sometimes doesn't want to. Anybody ever been injured? Anybody ever been harmed? It's difficult to show mercy when you're angry, when you're wounded, right? It really is. And so we found that, that mercy, the, the blessing that comes with mercy is mercy, the, right? The, the challenge and the blessing are the same thing. And, and the difference is you're receiving one and you're giving the other one. And so the opposite of mercy, we said, was sacrifice. So that doesn't make any sense, right? But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, he said, I would rather have mercy than sacrifice, Sacrifice is a necessary part of life. You sacrifice every day, but in the spiritual realm, mercy is preferred. And so that's a, that's a challenge, but it's also a benefit because, what, why? Because if God is going to prefer mercy, then that means he's going to prefer to give me mercy over making me sacrifice. Does that make sense to somebody? 
And so, Jesus, we talked about this idea of mercy where the Pharisees, according to Jesus, were, were straining or choking on a gnat and some insignificant, some small thing, but they could swallow a whole camel. And I, I think at some point I may go back and, and teach an entire lesson just on that point because it's so important that we can get wound up over some small insignificant thing. Right? We can. We can as humanity. We can get, man, this, this thing sets me off, but I'm willing to accommodate. I'm willing to, to deal with all this other junk that's the size of a camel compared to the issue that has. I'm telling you, the, many good people have lost their relationship with Jesus Christ over, not, not over something big, but over something small. Jesus said, it's the little foxes. Right? And so that, that heart of mercy we talked about that benefit. It sees distress. It responds with compassion. Mercy involves itself. That means in my life that when I need mercy, mercy is going to see my distress. When I need compassion, mercy is going to respond to my need. When, when, when I need mercy, mercy is going to involve itself. It responds with, with effort and it even acts when the person is an enemy. Tremendous, tremendous truths of God's word that comes for mercy. Finally, we looked at the pure in heart, for they have a unique ability to see God. They have that ability to see God in the present and in the future. In the pure in heart, we talked about this uh, the last time I taught on this, and David said it this way. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and they daily pour forth speech about him. The mercy of God, or this, this ability, the pure in heart, they can see God in creation. I, I know... Many of you may not, but some of us I know do. We love the outdoors, and I, I walk outside, and I, I, I'm so amazed that every tree grows upward, right? I can see the glory of God when I'm out west and see those mountains. I don't, I'm not considering all these eastern hills, mountains. I, I, I lived in the west for a while, and I know what a, a real mountain looks like. They're a little bit taller, a little more rugged, right? But the, 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 the pure in heart have a unique ability to see God. And we talked about how the scripture says, no man hath at any time seen God, yeah. right? And so the pure in heart have the ability to see God in imperfect things. That's, that's a difficult thing, right? To see God like creation because it bears his marks. But the second way that they see God, this, the pure in heart see God in their circumstance, in my situation, that's the way that we see God. No matter how bad my circumstance, no matter how negative my situation, no matter how difficult, no matter the pure in God, the pure in heart see God, they believe that God has a purpose in it. And so it's a blessing to be able to see God in your circumstance, in my circumstance. And finally, we said that the pure in heart see God in their worship. What a tremendous ability to see God. When the pure in heart, when they read the Bible, they're not just reading a book right? But to them, God is speaking, right? When they, when they hear a preacher preach or a teacher teach, it's not just someone preaching or someone teaching. It's the voice of God. They see God speaking directly to them. So this morning, after laying that groundwork, I want to get into this last beatitude, um, the blessing for peacemakers. The benefit that we're going to talk about at some point is that they shall be called the children of God. How many of you want to be called a child of God? Amen. What a challenge. I want to just kind of slip back for a moment and talk about the challenge of a peacemaker. We found, as we taught this lesson several months ago, that 
one key identifier of a peacemaker is that they tend to be mature people. Immature people don't always prefer peace, right? But mature people prefer peace rather than chaos. So immature people tend to be creators of drama, turmoil, constant noise. And right now there are several names going through your mind of people you know that are just like that. Please don't call those out, but pray for them. And if it's your name, pray for yourself, right? But So let me put it this way. If you're a creator of chaos, please don't look around the room this morning. If you thrive off of drama, if you are one who just loves turmoil, then let me, let me put it in no uncertain terms for you. you. You are not a mature Christian. You're not a mature person. You're definitely not a mature Christian. So Brother Roberts, that's so mean. It's so true. Why? How do you know that? Because I know my Bible tells me that God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of chaos. He spoke into chaos. He spoke into darkness, and he brought structure. He brought, right? He, he was a peacemaker, right? He, he made something better of that. He is the God of peace. Can I get an amen? amen. And so if you're a mature child of God, you will, you must prefer peace over chaos. Now, every parent whose children are above the age of six should say Amen. My wife and I, we're just kind of quiet. It's just me and her and, and a very spoiled dog. And when the grandkids come over, we seem to have adopted a, another one, this little four-year-old next door that's kind of terrorizing the neighborhood. He doesn't have much um, structure in his life. He's knocking on our door every morning and all through the day. He wants to play with my dog. He's a cute little kid. And... Uh, he doesn't have any structure. His family will literally walk out and yell and scream for him to come back. And the only person he seems to listen to is me because I have leverage. If you don't do what I say, you can't play with my dog. And he, he goes home pretty quick. I, I've been down that road. I've had children and grandchildren, and I know how to get to where he's living. And uh, he's, he's kind of he's cute. I've taught him to quit calling me Hey, and so he calls me Mr. Jeff now. And then every time he notices my wife's car gone, he goes, where's grandma? <laughs> so Keon apparently is a part of our family. And uh, we're happy to have it. But there's an entire family there that I'm going to win to Jesus Christ. Amen. He is Indian. His parents and grandparents are Indian. But if your spirit, your attitude is constantly at odds with everyone and everything, then you are not a peacemaker. Jesus Christ is the model peacemaker. He is, in fact, according to the Scripture, the Prince of Peace. I said this before, and I I cannot find anything more accurate or more true. Jesus did not pronounce this blessing, this benefit, on peace wishers. A lot of people that are wishing, hoping for peace. He didn't pronounce this on peace hopers or peace dreamers or peace lovers or peace talkers. He did not even pronounce his blessing upon peacekeepers. The benefit is only afforded to peacemakers. Why is this? Because peacemaking is a divine work. I want to share with you some principles of this this morning about peace before we can get into what the benefit really is. We've got to understand there are so many principles in Scripture about peace. James said that 
the peace that cometh down from above is first pure and then peace, right? Then it's peaceable. And so we talked about this at some great length, and, and I, I, I could even spend time on it this morning, that without purity, you're not going to have peace. Amen? We'll, we'll, we'll get to a little bit deeper in that in a moment. But I wanted you to understand that peacemaking is hard work. It's hard work just sometimes to keep the peace, and every parent should say amen. But it's even more difficult to make peace. And so here's how you identify a peacemaker. A peacemaker always, hear me now, a peacemaker always produces right relationships. How do I know if I'm a peacemaker? I'm producing a right relationship. If I'm producing a wrong relationship, hello, I'm not a peacemaker. If I'm creating an issue in relationships, right, in every sphere of life, if I'm creating an issue, you know, you, you, you understand how this works, right? Do I need to break it down for you? You know how the people that don't keep peace, you know what they said about you? You know what I think about them? You know what I heard? Well, that's not peacemaking. That's not maturity. And there's a lot of scripture about tail-bearing and idle talk, right? And I'm not going to get into that, but here's what we need to understand. According to the Word of God, God is the author of peace. But there's a principle that we've talked about, and you need to understand this. There's a principle that is at play in our world. It's called the peace at any price mentality. It is not a biblical principle. What do you mean, Brother Roberts? I mean that we must not compromise what we know and what we believe to be true in order to achieve or even maintain peace. Now, some of you parents need to hear me. You need to understand. I'm not telling you that you need to be mean, you need to be cruel, but you're going to have to make a decision over family members, over pieces of your family. If they don't agree with the truth, you cannot compromise truth and keep the peace. I'm going to prove it to you. One of the dominant spirits in our world right now is the spirit of accommodation. The spirit of accommodation comes out and says, if you don't agree with us, if you don't believe what we believe, then you're our enemy. And they begin to label people, right? It's, it's rampant in our world on every, on every level, in every sphere. It's political, it's national, it's, right, it's, gone, it's gone through every culture. It's just everywhere, right? We call, we call it political correctness. We call it all kinds of things. It's a spirit of accommodation, right? But it is not the same spirit as the spirit of peace. It's pacification. And at its worst, at its, at its worst, it's going to take people further away from truth. And so the benefit, the key, the peacemakers, how, how is it? How is it? The, we're talking about the benefit this morning. They shall be called the children of God. The key. What, what is this? What, it's, it's a question my, that I want to pose to you this morning. Who's going to call them the children of God? Who is going to be calling the peacemaker the child of God? And so as I began to dig into this, one thing, you know, it's one thing for you and I to declare ourselves a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. That's one thing. That's not what the Bible's saying here. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, they shall be called the children of God. And so in Scripture, I find two very real elements of peace that I want to maybe share with you this morning. 
that there are two specific ways that we find peace in the Bible. And the first one is this. There's peace with God, and then there is the peace of God. Now, that's, that's not semantics. That's, those are two different, separate types of peace that we look at in Scripture. And when you read the Bible, you need to be able to understand and distinguish that there's a peace with God and there's a peace of God. Not like you're getting a peace of God, but the peace that comes from God. And so it's impossible for anyone to truly be a peacemaker without first experiencing peace with God. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said it like this. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace. Listen, this is the peace of God. I give unto you, not like the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, let it neither be afraid. Here's my point. God's peace is nothing like the peace of this world. Right? Why, why is that? Because the peace of the world is depending upon something or someone. Divorce is rampant in our world today because men and women are depending on finding their peace, their happiness with a spouse. I think it's a reasonable thing, but I'm going to tell you after being married 38 years that it's impossible to always find your peace with your spouse. Now, some of y'all give me that sideways look. You don't believe me. Just trust me, you're going to get there. You're going to own the T-shirt. That sweet darling that you're married to is an angel almost until they're not, and then they become a devil. And every one of us have some of that in us. Some of us have a lot more than others. Be honest with yourself. If my peace is only dependent upon my wife, who I love dearly and appreciate very much, I'm not going to have peace a, a good amount of time. If her peace is always dependent on, upon me, she's seldom going to have peace. If my peace is dependent upon the government, oh God in heaven. If my peace is dependent upon, listen to me, I'm talking to somebody here. If my peace is dependent upon a political party or power or what I think is right or what I think is wrong, you're never going to get peace, right? Right? But if our peace rests on a holy God who cannot change and cannot lie, I feel the Holy Ghost. So in order to be a true peacemaker, you first got to start with achieving peace with God. You can't help someone else know the peace of God until you have and they have peace with God. Now, I'm not trying to, stay with me here for a second. See, here's the thing. The peace with God is an objective peace. What that means is it doesn't come from within. It's not about you. It's not something you can achieve. It's not something you can acquire for yourself. It's something that can only come from God. It is a God thing, right? It is a gift straight from the throne of God. It's given to us by Jesus Christ when he saves a repentant sinner. Now, we know this. We know that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and we know that when we repent, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. We understand that, right? We understand that Jesus took the wrath. He absorbed the wrath of God that should have been mine, that should have been yours, and he made peace with God for us, and he gives us that peace in our salvation. 
Now, this piece, this piece is, not, is, is a fact that's not based upon feeling or emotion. That's really hard for us to understand because we are such emotional people. But it's free and it's forever and it can never be destroyed. It can't be diminished. It is a secure peace with the Almighty God as the source of that peace, right? Because it's based on the finished work of Calvary. Now, the Greek word for peacemaker is only found two times in the New Testament. One was in our text and the other one is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. I'm going to prove the point to you. He says it this way, for it was the Father's good pleasure. It pleased the Father that all that in, in him should all, dwell all the fullness. I'll, I'll get through that. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. I just like, I wrote a little bit different translation down here. You got to understand, Jesus Christ is not just peace. He is the ultimate peacemaker. Go back to that and keep that verse up there. He said, he made, or making peace, he made peace through the blood of his cross. And so here's the thing. A lot of people want to keep the peace. A lot of people want to talk about peace. A lot of people don't even understand what peace is. But Jesus is a peacemaker. He took something, right? He took something where there was no peace and he created peace. You understand this? In, in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 10, here's what Paul says to us. He said, for we were the enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, right? And we're saved through that reconciliation. Now slip back up to verse, verse 1. He kind of is saying something after the fact. But he's talking about the same thing. He's talking about peace in chapter 5. He said, therefore, being justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand, the peace, right, having peace with God comes only through Calvary, through the blood of the cross. And so how do people, people, the people in the world, they want to have the peace of God in their life. That's an impossibility until you've been to the cross and had the blood applied right? Until you've repented and been baptized, right? And filled with the spirit of peace, right? Then you're not going to have the peace of God. It's not possible. But it is possible for us to have peace with God through the vehicle of salvation. How many of you understand that? Now, here's the important part. Sin is a peace killer. Sin always kills peace. It's a destroyer of peace. Well, I've been walking with the Lord since Moby Dick was a minnow. I was walking with the Lord before you were born, Brother Roberts. Good for you. If you got sin in your life, you do not have peace. Can't have it. You may act like you have it. You may ignore the fact that you've got chaos and turmoil and trouble and issues and all. You may ignore that emotion that tells you you're not right with God. You may move beyond that, but if there is sin living in your life, you do not have peace with God. But the Bible says we have an altar, right? And we have a place where we can come and make things right with God and the peace of God. How many of you, how many of you understand there's a, there's a repetitive motion in church, right? Back in the day when we had two services every Sunday, 
Sunday nights always tended to be a little more spiritual than Sunday mornings. You know why that was? Because the sin that was destroying the peace in people's lives would come in and the preacher would deal with it and we would come to an altar and repent over it and by Sunday night, most of us came back with a measure of peace. Not everybody, but most of us came back. Any old timers around, you know I'm telling you the truth. You can recognize that witness of, of Brother Robert's Holy Ghost, right? So I'm telling you the truth. You came back on Sunday night and we had blowout worship. Why? Because we had repented and made peace with God. And God was able to move more freely. We had better flow in the service, right? And so that's, that's the process. It works, right, through faith that we're being raised. He said they're justified, right? That's a process of faith. And so that's what peace with God looks like. Now the problem is, right, that the Bible says this in Isaiah 40, 48, 22, there is no peace for the wicked. Now Isaiah 57, 21 says, there is no peace to the wicked. In both cases, right, he denounces the nation's right? The nation's wickedness practices. But if you backed up one verse in Isaiah 57 to verse 20, he said, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. You, you got to understand this. The world, they want the peace of God so bad, but they're not willing to go through the process to make peace with God. I'm choosing my words carefully. I'm smiling because I don't want to say something too offensive to you. Here's the deal. It's possible to have peace with God, but not have the peace of God. So, so what? It's possible to have peace with God. I told you there's two types of peace in the Bible. Peace with God and peace of God. But it's possible to have peace with God. You're right with God, but you don't have that peace of God, right? And so here's what we know, right? You know this. One phone call can change your situation. One text message can change your life. One person opening the door can destroy, right? It, it, it can. It, it's just... It's just the nature of the world that we live in. But we've obtained peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that opens the door to have the peace of God. Now, the peace of God is not objective, it's subjective. Okay? When we have it, we experience the peace that can only come through trusting Jesus Christ. Now, this peace is also a gift of God. It's also given freely, it's also given generously, but it produces within us a feeling, an emotion of wellness, of security. But it is not, hear me, is not automatic. It's something that you must and I must pursue. Give me Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. Here's what Paul told the church at Colossians. He said, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. There's the difficult part. 
That's how people can come and have peace with God. They're not openly sinning. They're not out there committing adultery or killing people or doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They got peace with God. They got a good relationship, but they come into the house of God and they've got anxiety and fear and terror. Why? Because they've got peace with God, but they have no peace of God. Why? Because Paul said you have to, right, let, you have to allow the peace of God to rule, right? So that's my choice. That's my choice. What, what I let rule, what I let reign, what I let happen, we're talking about peacemaker, right? We're talking about how, how this works, right? And be you thankful. Listen, if you're not thankful, the peace of God will never rule in your heart. If you're not, if you're not thankful for the things of God, right? But see, if your heart is actively seeking and pursuing the peace of God, right, we can expect peace in, peace in our lives. But it is dependent, Right? Because I'm, I'm going to say this 50 times if I say it once today, you need to understand this. It's not possible to have the peace of God if you're not at peace with God. Hello? Now, we all understand relationships to some degree in this room. We all understand. Anybody ever had a fight? And then you make up. Hello? Now, I'm guilty. I have started a fight at times so I could make up. Now, you men laugh at me, but you're a, I'll call you out and call you not telling the truth if you say you didn't. <laughs> Brother Roberts. No, right? But it's... <laughs> it's impossible to experience the peace of God without having peace with God. But here's what he said, this subjective peace, this choice of peace, when we allow that anxiety, when we allow that fear to set in, we lose our focus and we become disheartened, right? confusion sets in. It's the same setting of the one who's not a peacemaker where chaos and drama and turmoil and all this other stuff is going on, right? And so the flow of God's peace is blocked, it's diminished, right? And so it's possible to have peace with God and still not have the peace of God. And so Paul gives us a warning in the book of Philippians what about the worry and anxiety of the world that comes, right? And so here's something. The church needs to be a place of peace, the church must be a, a place where you can come and if peace is not in your life, where it can be restored. And so Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, be anxious for, be anxious for something. No, be anxious for nothing. But in most things, what? How am I going to get peace? In everything, by prayer and supplication, Again, thanksgiving, right? How am I going to restore peace in my life? Are you with me now? I got, I got peace with God, but I'm missing the peace of God. How do I do it? I, I got I to I gotta deal with the anxiety. I got I to gotta come to prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which the, what does it do? It surpasses all understanding, Right? And it'll do something else. And it will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a process that comes 
with the peace of God. And what, what, what astounds me most is that I see people who want the peace of God, but they're not willing to make peace with God. Pray for peace. We're going through this. We're just praying for peace. But they've got anger about the situation. They've got anger about the circumstance. They're upset about what's going on. And they don't, they're, not, they're not at peace with God. And so they're, they can never let the peace of God rule in their hearts. And so we remember everything that God's done for us. We remember everything that God's given to us. Then we'll give him thanks. And the peace of God, right, we're going to find in our lives. That, that's a great thing, isn't it? As I began to think about this some, I began to think about people who just possess external peace. It must be exhausting. It, it must be terribly exhausting to, to maintain external peace. It has to be so difficult. Why? Because the effort to maintain a personal peace is really what drives so much sin in our world, right? Because in order for me to have peace, I've got to impinge upon someone else. I've got to rely upon, I've got to put pressure on someone else to be something that they are not so that I, does this make sense somebody? So that I can have peace. That results in wickedness every time, right? It results in anger, it results in addictions, it results in, it results in adultery, all kinds of tempers, all kinds of, there's all kinds of stuff. Why? Because people are trying to receive, they're trying to achieve some place of peace, right? And they don't understand that their peace is based upon the wrong thing. So as long as we believe that we are, hear me, responsible for creating our own peace, then our humanity will justify any means that we use to get it. I'm going to say that again. As long as we believe that we're responsible for creating peace in our lives, we'll justify the means that we use to obtain it. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about the man that justifies adultery. Why? Because that woman's going to make me happier than that woman. That man will make me happier than that man. Right? And, and, and they justify... And as a result of that, they lose peace with God, and they're depending upon a peace that is in a, a relatively always changing world. Hello? My wife has changed dramatically over the last 38 years in so many ways, right? I've, I've changed a little bit. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about this. People will create riots in our world to get what they want because they think it will bring them peace. But it's based upon something that is not stable. It's always variable. It's based upon opinion or desire or hunger. But when our peace, here, when our peace is based upon an unchangeable, unmovable God, right? And what? Only he can do, not what I can do, only what he can do, then my peace is not subjective to the wind or the rain or the turmoil or the conditions of life. What are you talking about? I'm talking about I can look cancer in the face. I can look a diagnosis in the face. I can look pain and injury and anguish in the face. Why? Because I've got peace with God and I'm letting the peace of God rule in my heart. 
And so what are you talking about? I'm talking about this peace idea is so great because real peace, well, we we're talking about peace, but real peace making is building a bridge. And so how do I become a peacemaker? I can't be a peacemaker unless I have peace with God and until I have the peace of God. I can't, listen, I, I heard this so many years ago and it is the truest statement. You cannot give what you don't have. Can't do it. You don't have it, you can't give it. Give me 20 bucks. I ain't got 20 bucks. Can't give it to you. I might be able to get it somehow, but I can't give what I don't have. And so this is the truth. Real peacemaking always builds a bridge to people. It does not want animosity to remain. It's always trying to achieve reconciliation. It always drives toward harmony. So here we looked at this. We said, okay, they're going, to be, they're going to be peacemakers, right? And so peacemaking is being the work of an ambassador. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians, and you know this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature, right? All the old things are passed away. All the old things become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us. There's peace with God to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What's a peacemaker? Someone who introduces someone who has no peace to the peace of God. Because the truth is, Brother Savati, most of the people I meet out in this world are, according to the word of God that we saw this morning, enemies of God. If they don't know God through repentance, through baptism in the name of Jesus and the infill of the Holy Ghost, they are enemies of God. Not, not by my choice, not by their choice. It's just, the, it's just the reality of it. They're the enemy of God. But a peacemaker is a bridge builder. The greatest peacemaker I know on, that, that, that wears shoe leather is our bishop. He is constantly building bridges between people that are enemies of God and making them, bringing them into a place where they have peace with God. And the, the reality is, those people that he meets, they all want the peace of God. But what Bishop understands and what a peacemaker knows is that you cannot possibly have the peace of God until you find peace with God. That's why he's given to us as the church the ministry of reconciliation. If I'm going to be mature... If I'm going to take all of these great things of being poor in spirit and being comforted in mourning, all these things, all of these challenges are building me to the place of all my hunger, all my desire, all the meekness, the purity of heart. All of those things are leading me to the capstone, to the place where I can now begin to build bridges between people that don't know the peace of God and bring them to a place where they can find peace with God. Because I know because I've got some that at an altar, they can, not, they can not only find peace with God, they can find the peace of God. Amen. The world wants to fix everything. You can't fix nothing. You can't fix all the stuff. People are going to go through things. There are going to be tough days, bad days, good days. All kinds of things are going to happen. But you can be just like this. You can be stable. You can be steady because the peace of God is living in your life. And you can walk through life. And so here's, here's my point, and I'm almost done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude early, and I never do that. When you come to God, and you find peace with God through real biblical salvation, 
God says, you're my child. So my question was, who's going to call them the children of God? The Lord is. Amen. Right? Oh, man, I got peace with God. God says, you're my son. You're my daughter. Right? The next step, when I find the peace of God, when I mature to that place where my circumstance is not shaking me, it's not moving me, but my trust, I'm letting peace rule in my heart, guess who's going to call me a child of God? I am. I'm going to have the assurity that I am a son of God. I am a child of God. Why? Because the peace of God is ruling in my heart. You make sense? So who's going to call them? What this great benefit, all of these benefits, all of these great things that we've talked about, but they shall be called the sons of God, right? When I get, when I get salvation, God looks down on me and says, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my child. When I get to that place where God is ruling, and I feel the Holy Ghost in this room this morning, well, I'm telling you, when I feel that peace of God in my life, there's a recognition there's a recognition that I'm more than a conqueror. I am a child of God, and God is ruling and reigning in my life. But when I become a peacemaker, and I begin to build bridges between people who have no peace, their peace is based on something subjective that's moving, that's changing. When I can build that bridge and bring someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ into a right relationship, you know what's going to happen? They're going to, turn their, they're going to turn and they're going to point at you. They're going to point at me, the peacemaker, and say, that is a child of God. The highest compliment you will ever receive, the greatest compliment you will ever receive in this life is for someone else to look at you and say, that's a man of God. That's a woman of God. That's a child of God. They introduced me to peace. They brought something into my life that I could never achieve on my own. I'm glad that I can, I, I'm glad that God recognizes me as his child. I'm glad that I can recognize that I'm a child of God, but I want other people to recognize me as a peacemaker. But that has, that has to happen on purpose. That has to be intentional. That has to be an awareness that comes, right? What That, that mercy involves itself. That mercy doesn't walk by the situation. That, that mercy sticks its nose in. That mercy gets in there. And then that purity of heart begins to see things. You see how all of these, all of these beatitudes work together where the Lord is leading you to a place? I'm telling you, when Bishop sees someone, he doesn't see them as they, he sees them as part of the kingdom of God. Why? Because he's learned how to build bridges. He's learned how to become a peacemaker. And what, I, what, I, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about living hope here at the culmination of this series of teaching. You can learn to be a peacemaker. You can, but you've got to have peace with God and you've got to have the peace of God because you can't give what you don't have. But if you'll do that, Brother James, when that person that you talk to, and maybe everybody's not interested, maybe somebody will walk by, but that one person is going to come and they're going to come and they're going to find their way down to an altar and they're going to repent of their sins and we're going to splash some water on the floor and baptize them in the name of Jesus. And we're going to be witnesses as they raise their hands and the Holy Ghost fills them to overflowing and there's going to be a point in their life where they turn around and look at you and say that is a man of God. That is a child of God and there's no greater blessing because there's going to be a witness of heaven. He says yeah, that's a child of God. 
That's the kind of church that Living Hope needs to be. That's the kind of people that we need to be. It's more than just Sunday school. It's more than just worship. It's more than just coming to the house of God. I'm challenging somebody. The greatest blessing you can ever have is to be a bridge builder. God said, I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap, but I couldn't find anybody. But I want someone to understand on a Sunday morning, as the summer gets going hot, be aware of those around you. Look for that hungry heart. Look for that person in need. Say, you know what? Today, I'm going to build a bridge. Today, I'm not going to live in chaos. Today, I'm not going to be dramatic. Today, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to build a bridge. And I know, even as I say that, some of you are going, man, that's great, Brother Roberts, but I just, I just, that's just not me. Do you like having peace with God? Do you like having the peace of God? I know I do. But the greater blessing than having peace with God and the peace of God is to help share that with somebody else. Is to help share that with somebody that doesn't know Jesus like you know Jesus. Stand with me. Peacemaking is the Father's business. Spreading the gospel so that others may know. So my question this morning is who? Who's calling you a child of God? Absolutely God is, right? When you've been saved, the biblical evidence, right, of speaking in tongues and the Holy Ghost comes, right? God says, that, that's, that's a witness. That's my child. That's, that's a child of God. And then there's that point where you get to, and you're like, you know what? Don't matter what's going on in my life. I got peace with God. Everything's going to be good. And you call yourself. But I wonder how many people are going to be surrounding you one day going, that's a peacemaker. That's a peacemaker. So I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray for us that we would have the confidence, right, to let that peace of God rule in our heart. Because when the peace of God is truly ruling in your heart, you will not just see with the eyes of the natural man, but you'll see through the spiritual man. Lift a hand with me. Father, I plead the blood this morning. I pray over this group of people. I pray over Living Hope Church. I pray over the people of God today. I pray you would give us confidence. Lord, help us to become bridge builders. Help us to lead someone else into a right relationship. Help us to lead someone else into a close relationship with you. God, I pray right now over every man, every woman in this room, the people that don't know peace, I pray today they with peace. I pray they make peace. Those, God, today that have peace with you but don't have that peace of God ruling in their heart, I pray, Lord, that you would help them make that choice, allowing the peace of God to rule beyond the understanding of their humanity. And, Lord, I pray for us as peacemakers. Help this church, help this body, help the people of God to be aware of everyone we come in contact with. Help us, Lord, to be intentional about building a bridge between a lost person, about a, between a person who doesn't know peace and the maker of peace in Jesus' name. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.